Welcome back to the main report. Um, this is a special episode of the main report. Uh, one, because of our interview with Secretary of State for the state of Kentucky, Michael Adams. But this is our first ever episode to air on the radio. So if you've never uh, heard from us before, my name is Brendan Evers. Uh, we do this podcast. Uh, it's a student-produced podcast. I'm with my twin, Jamison Evers, Hello. and Sergey Ivanov. Hey, what's up? My name is Sergey Ivanov. I'm glad to be. I'm glad to be on the show. Thanks for asking me to be on here. If you, you needed some diversity, and so you brought me. So as the show goes on, uh, if you've never heard from us uh, before, now if you have, then you can just ignore this and just skip skip forward about thirty seconds on this the podcast. This is on the app. radio. You can't skip. Yeah, on but if the this, radio. if you're listening on the podcast, you can just like skip forward. Oh, okay. um, yeah. Sergey uh, loves to mention Dunkin' Donuts. That's his like thing. His and rush. In the two years of his life, he grew up in New York, even though he doesn't remember any of it. I remember most of it actually. So that is us. We are a entirely student produced podcast. We are three McCracken County High School seniors uh, that started this show. I think late September. We now have we have. Don't ask me. I we've don't already know. produced nine episodes um, before we get to or got to this point, um, and it is a pleasure to be uh, with you all. Um, we are going to talk on the show a lot about McCracken County news and events, and then uh, hopefully have interviews and general commentary about just anything that is going on in this area. Um, let's start with Miss Scheidel. Because Miss Scheidel, out of 880 nominations, was nominated or won the 2020 McDonald's Teach It Forward Outstanding Educator Award. So is that from teachers just from Kentucky or is that from across multiple states? It actually didn't specify whether it was just uh, Kentucky teachers. It just said out of a pool of 880 nominations. Um, I'll look for that information. Well, I can vouch for Miss Shadell that she is a very good teacher, and she's a that great I... teacher. She deserves the award. I, I don't know what the award is, but it, she deserves it. It's the Teach It Forward Award. That um, sounds like a great award to win. Um, so good job, Miss Shadell. Wow. Um, other news. Why are you laughing? He didn't know what the award was. The award could have been for something bad. And he's like, yeah, she deserves it. He has no idea what he's talking about. This could have been a Razzie here. All right. um, And some other news. uh, You know, know, we've all at some point in our life had to have seen or or watched Jeopardy, right? Like, Yes. Or at the very least, you've heard of the music whenever you're like making fun of your friends for For taking long. Yeah. Um, So Alex Trebek, one of his final wishes was that the show continue Jeopardy. Um, and that's exactly what's happening. So, starting in January, they're going to start taping Jeopardy again with um, the person who set the record for most Jeopardy or wins. consecutive wins, Ken Jennings, as Ken Jennings, one of their, yeah. one of their first interim hosts. So that will be <clears throat> that'll start in January. I'm not certain if I would watch Jeopardy without Alex Trebek. Because there was just the smoothness of the show as it flows with him. I'm not certain I would watch Jeopardy. I think it depends on who it is. If it's Ken Jennings that does it, I would watch that because I also enjoy Ken Jennings. And Ken Jennings was also the one that won the Jeopardy All-Stars thing, where it was him, James Holzhauer, and then somebody else that never won. I don't remember his name. 
Y'all, I have a Jeopardy clue for you. What has blocked all hashtags from being seen by anyone for like three weeks after this event? Buzz. I saw that, yeah. What is Instagram? Yes. Can we? That is so annoying. I looked up hashtag Sunday Night Football the other week, or like last week, and it was like recent posts from hashtag Sunday Night Football or from all hashtags have been blocked to stop the spread of election Okay, yeah, that's one thing, because like if you really think about it, Sunday Night Football, people go on like ESPN, they may maybe talk about politics for a little while. If they're like being really, really safe, I but can ESPN, kind of understand but that. But like ESPN but, rarely talks about it. But if you think about it, like why couldn't Instagram have blocked like hashtags from like election 2020 and or like hashtag Joe Biden or Donald Well, Trump they did, like but they like also that. blocked every other freaking hashtag that was, too. That was the point. Is the, like you didn't have to block hashtag Sunday Night Football to try to block election disinformation. Well, here the problem with that is if you only block like keywords is basically what it's doing, the algorithm. So, like some dude on Twitter is going to be like, to get around this, what we need to do is hashtag SEMO89. And that's like code word for hashtags about the election. But what I'm what I'm talking about is like I go on there. I'm a photographer, so I'll like go on Instagram, post like a new photo that I took. I'm like hashtag 35 millimeter film photography. This hashtag is blocked because Donald Trump just lost. Or yeah, but that that's the thing that's annoying about it is like everyone's already called it. It's pretty obvious what the actual called end result it. is going to be, right? Why is it still blocked? Like, I get doing it on November 3rd and 4th, 5th, or, like, even, like, a week after. Okay. We're, Brendan, like, almost a month past it now. We are Brendan. a month past it. Here's it's the, December. Brendan, oh, shoot. Yeah, Brendan, when this airs, it'll be a month. Look at me in the eyes. Look at me in the eyes. If you, for all the people listening, I'm pulling out a $20 bill out of my wallet. I'm putting it right here in between us. $20 says in one month it will still be there. This is a bet. You don't take it right now. In 20 no, not in $20. In one month, it will still have all hashtags blocked. No, it won't. Yes. All I right. Bet. I will it will be until inauguration. I'll take I that guarantee bet. it. I will take that bet. So if Instagram at any point in time unblocks hashtags, I owe Sergey 20 bucks. What? No, Sergey owes you 20 bucks. Yeah. Oh, yeah, He thinks right. they'll still be but blocked. You if won't. But it, like, af- post-inauguration... Post January seventeenth, if it gets unblocked after that, you give me the twenty bucks, and I need it because I need to go Christmas shopping like today. After January? No, I'm just saying like Wait this, is, this is like a this is like debt for me. Like you know, I pay twenty dollars now, and I'm like, oh, I hope this so works. You, so you want twenty bucks from him right now? No, 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 no. I'm gonna spend the twenty dollars on Christmas presents now, but. In hopes, in a gamble, that I win this bet. Yeah. You know, on more a more serious note, uh, as we stated earlier, if you're just joining us, uh, we are the main report. It's Brendan Evers, Jameson Evers, and Sergey Ivanov. Uh, later in the show, you know, we're talking about elections and what Instagram is doing. Uh, we will have Kentucky Secretary of State Michael Adams on the show to talk about Kentucky's election. So stay tuned for that one. That is coming up gonna, at, in I'm the final 25 of minutes of the show. Yeah. I'm going to have a lot of questions to ask. So the final 25 minutes of the hour, that will be Kentucky Secretary of State Michael Adams. Yeah, Kentucky's head election official because he's the Secretary of State. Yeah, he's 
he's basically the guy that is in charge or he was the one who pushed for changes to be coronavirus safe for this election and he is he is a republican but he had great bipartisan efforts with the office of the democratic governor and he one of the things he was talking about is how you can work with other parties now because politics has become so uh, party based and like it's almost hard for anyone from either side to work with each other because it's like almost forbidden nowadays um last week was thanksgiving yes Um, it was yeah we all had a uh good thanksgiving i'm assuming i had an entire head of broccoli that sounds awful not like raw yeah sergey did you maintain your keto completely keto it was probably healthier than most normal days uh as mr hines said yesterday on his instagram story the COVID calories have turned into pandemic pounds, and Thanksgiving was no exception for us. Because we've already all gained the COVID-19. Yeah, I don't, I'm not sure if it was the COVID-19. It's more like the COVID-7 for me. Dude, I've stayed the same. Really? Yeah. I've actually lost weight. Jameson just, like, froze there. At least you have football. Like, it's football season. You Like, this is the time when you're actively working out. All the time. I also have to eat a lot to maintain weight, too. Um, but on Thanksgiving, uh, the voice of the Mustangs, if he's listening, uh, will take one little jab at you. Okay, hey, the hey, Dallas hey, Cowboys got smoked. What is his name? Eric Chumbler. Okay, yes. There there you go. Thank you. Yeah. Eric Chumbler, uh, your Dallas your Cowboys, Cowboys didn't look so good smoked. on Thanksgiving. They're uh, now in last place in the worst division in football, the NFC East. Yeah. The... The NFC East is terrible. They lost to the football team. The yeah, the football team. Um, a reminder to McCracken County families that uh, the district, you know, we're virtual still, and it looks like we're going to be for a while now. Um, remember that the district is still offering door-to-door de- meal delivery. That will happen every single day during the week. So from uh, till the end of the first semester, it's not from nine thirty a.m. To 12 p.m., the buses are running. If you are interested in receiving a meal delivered from our cafeterias uh, to help get you through uh, and you know feed feed your children, because honestly, like I know how much Jay and I eat, that can yes, all add up. Bit. Not being in school, so if you are interested in that, leave a container at the end of your driveway. When the bus drives by, they will see it and they will leave uh, the appropriate number of meals at your doorstep. We're going to come back with more from the main report. Welcome back to segment two of the main report. Um, it is Jameson and Sergey still with you. Um, you know, last last week it was on, well, I mean, it'll be, this will be airing on a Saturday. But Jameson, you went to that uh, Murray Mayfield triple overtime fun festival of a football game uh, what did you notice there because rarely does Mayfield get beat at home so it was cold first of all that was that was the biggest thing that I remember but um, Mayfield was not what Mayfield had been in the last couple of years and Murray Murray lost something from last year too but Murray just played better on that day than they did than Mayfield did 
And then there was a couple key moments like Mayfield didn't score down inside the goal line and one of their teammates like broke his leg, I think is what it was, on second and goal. And then they didn't score the next two plays. And then Murray had a punt return touchdown that there was two flags on the play and they picked up both flags. So that was that was kind of interesting. And I, I wasn't there. I was following along on Twitter and I'm like, you've got to be kidding me. It, in re- all reality, like, when you see a team like Murray lose the ball so much, you would ultimately expect Mayfield to just capitalize on all of those four, opportunities. Four turnovers. And Murray had not beaten Mayfield in, in football in 23 years. They had not beat them since 1997. So that was uh, kind of fun. Now, you're a McCracken County football player. Yes. And this will air on a Saturday, so I apologize. You will, you listeners will already know what happened. But you're playing Louisville Mail on Friday. Yes. At Louisville Mail. Yes. Which is, I mean, let's. I mean, it's three hours away. So in an away game in the third round of the playoffs, what would what do you have to do to win? just have to execute we have to play we have to not turn the ball over and we just have to be efficient in scoring score in the red zone um just play how we do and then hope that they don't do anything spectacular that was almost marshawn lynch-esque i'm only here so i don't get fined that was a that was like your stereotypical sports players interview. I'm Great not, podcasting. I'm Sergey, not here to give bulletin board material. You see how interested I am in y'all sports okay, talk? So, I'm so invested. No, well, I was getting to you, Sergey. Okay. Now, you we know you don't really love love sports, but yet you're always there taking photos. Yes. Is there any sport you actually know about? Um, if you count martial arts as a sport, some people do, some people don't. I do. If you count that as a sport, then yes, I do. Well, I mean, I consider marching band a sport, so I'll consider martial arts a sport. What martial art do you know a lot about? Um, well, for one, I took taekwondo. I don't – no, that doesn't mean I'm a freaking Batman ninja. What that means is for like three years I took taekwondo lessons. I, I think I was a yellow-red belt, which is not far, but – I do know a little bit about Taekwondo. I know the basics. I uh, I watch UFC fights, which doesn't really mean anything, but that's like probably the only sport that I do watch. So is Taekwondo. Boone does Taekwondo, did, or he, he did? Yeah, he did. He's He was a black belt. Well, he Boone is. is a black belt in yeah. Taekwondo. Talk For about those it. who don't know who Boone is, it's Elijah Boone. Just AKA the greatest man on the earth. the best person. He's awesome. Best He's hugger single. on earth. What? <laughs> Best hugger on earth. Um, And single. Wow. Um, So coming up (laughs) later on the show, as we said, (laughs) it's the Kentucky Secretary of State, Michael Adams, who's probably our first big interview, if you think about it. First interview that that people people, outside of McCracken would care about. Outside of this purchase region area would know or care about. And he, he talked about whole state, the like everything. And for those of you who don't know, he graduated from Reedland High School, so from this area, and his, he said his family still lives here. So be listening for that in our next segment. Now I want to talk a little bit more about what we did over Thanksgiving 
And I know for us, for this was the first time in a long time we did not go Black Friday shopping. First time that I can remember that somebody in the family didn't because I didn't go when we were younger. But so I'm hoping that Sergey participated in the national holiday of Black Friday. I actually, if you listen to the last episode, I am not a big fan of Black Friday, but I actually was pl- I actually was planning on going Black Friday shopping. What are you two doing? Jameson wanted uh, a, his drink, and I was not being very back nice and forth and pulling it back. Yeah, continue. My lord. So, as you heard on the last episode, I don't like Black Friday. I think it's stupid, but I genuinely was planning on going Black Friday shopping. And what happened? I was just like, nah. Nah? Yeah, I was just like, I'll, I've got stuff. I'd rather, you know, watch Godzilla versus Space Godzilla again or something. But, so, I'm, I'm hoping, so... Now that we're past Thanksgiving, I I feel that the Christmas season has started, right? As do most people. Christmas music is now on 94.7 uh, here in this area and probably others. Um, but we went to see some Christmas displays recently. Define will, Christmas displays. Like the, the ones that are advertised, like Noble Park, Mike okay, Miller Park. Yeah. We went down to Union City, Tennessee. And I'm going to be honest. The ones that they make you, you pay $10 to go through in Union City and I'm not certain if they're a Bristol sponsor or whatever so I'll just leave it I was not as impressed as what people made it out to be I thought they were good but what's funny is there was they played the songs on the station that they tell you they only played the Christmas songs for like 40 seconds and then they switched oh so they didn't have to pay for them something like that um and there was nothing big. Now, I was really impressed with the Christmas lights display in Mike Miller Park. That's always the County. best one. That The one at Mike Miller is always the best one. I think there's just so many lights there. It goes, I mean, it literally covers the entire park. They go big or go home at Mike Miller Park. And uh, as always, the the lights in Noble Park here in Paducah are solid. Like They're consistent. The thing is, most of them are the same, so you've seen most of them already. Yeah. Um, Sergey, do you ever go through uh, light displays? No. You just don't? No. No. There are homeless people who need warmth, and our electricity is being funneled towards a an electric Santa waving. But part of that is, like, at Mike Miller and at Noble Park, you can donate canned food and but donate. You don't, though. You do. Most, a lot of people do. It's not obligated, but most people do. Like, I'm if pretty sure there, 90% of people give something. They give either money or some kind of canned goods. Even produce. when I go, I donate, but I don't go. And I don't feel like most people actually... I feel like people give like, oh, I, I, what are we going to do with cream of mushroom soup that we never use? Oh, give it, to the, give it to the Boy Scouts or something. Hey, you never know what you can do with cream of mushroom soup. Yeah, throw it away. There's lots of things. I'm pretty sure that Keep goes... Keep it on the shelf. Doesn't that go into, like... It's in green bean casserole. Yeah. Was it? I was trying to think. I almost, I literally blanked on the name of that. Of green bean casserole? I was like, what is that casserole that we had on Thanksgiving that was green and had, like, the uh, French fried onions on the top? Yeah, so the Christmas season is upon us. Um, 
we hope everyone's getting their Christmas shopping. Do they have to hit the nuclear switch like they do in Christmas Vacation? No, I'm not. Yeah, like with uh, Clark Griswold when he turns on his lights and it overwhelms the entire county's like power grid. 25,000 Italian twinkle lights. Also, remember, in Christmas Vacation, the Griswolds live in Chicago. So it's not like they have a small power grid there. And they had to hit the nuclear reactor. That was part of the whole city off. I forgot Sergey does not like Christmas Vacation. What's wrong with you? That's such an overrated... Listen, you're talking to a guy who has done comedy. And that movie is funny in maybe three bits. Really? What makes it not funny, Sergey? Well, first thing, if you look into the history of that movie, no one cared. Chevy Chase didn't even want to do it. I don't even think... I don't even think it was a situation where, well, I'll do it for the money, because there was no money, because it was a bad situation. Everyone hated it. The, here's what the director said. The director said, I will only... Because the producer goes and finds the director, will you direct this movie? And they'll give him the script. And the director knows that all this stuff is going on, and the director said, I will only do it if you can guarantee that at any point... I can walk off and not get repercussions for it. Regardless of how much of, like, what was going on and how, you know, poorly everyone got along, they still produced one heck of a movie. It, no, it's not funny. It's not a funny movie. I could make a wrong turn on Lone Oak Road and see that happening. Wow. No, that's not a, that that's a documentary. That doesn't happen. That movie is a documentary of Paducah, Kentucky. Speaking of wrong turns on Lone Oak Road, you might end up in Reedland if that, if you do that. And that's where our next interviewee is from. Coming up right after the break, for the first time, we have a major politician coming on the main report. So coming up next, it's Kentucky Secretary of State. Michael Adams, who is a Reedland graduate. We already mentioned that. And yes, he's from McCracken County. He's going to be talking about Kentucky's most recent general election and the primary and what he had to do for it. You can hear that next on The Main Report. Welcome back to The Main Report. Uh, with us now is the Kentucky Secretary of State, uh, Mr. Michael Adams, and it is a pleasure uh, to be with you today. Um, we're going to start by, obviously, you're Kentucky's top election official. But, uh, you know, we're going to start now. Just give us an overview of what the con- or the Secretary of State's job is from a day-to-day basis. Well, I've got some duties that are in the Constitution and some duties that are in the statutes. Uh, the primary duty I have is to literally be the secretary of the state. That's why I have that title. Uh, I keep records of all uh, of land records of legislation passed by the General Assembly, uh, executive orders of the governor. The Constitution requires me to attest to the acts of the governor, which is to say every single thing he signs, every proclamation, every contract, every executive order, every appointment of an official uh, or a board member, uh, all of those things come to me. He signs them and he sends them down the hall and I sign them. And then I keep a journal, which is uh, both a literal thing and also an online journal. So the public can see uh, what the acts of the governor are and see they've been attested. 
this is a 200-year-old requirement that came from days before people knew who signed stuff. There really was no way to verify signatures back then. It's a little archaic, but that's my primary duty under the Constitution. I also have other duties. One is uh, part constitutional and part statutory, which is to be the chief election official of the Commonwealth. Uh, that certainly took up most of my time this year. Uh, and then the other thing I do is I'm the chief business officer. Uh, my office is where businesses file if they want to start a business or do business in our state from some other state. Uh, we have requirements that those businesses file annual reports with our office. And so those are the three big things we do here. Um, so just asking a little bit more about you, obviously being the Secretary of State was not your first job. So like, what are some of the other things you've had in your life that like other jobs you've had up to this point where now you're the Secretary of State for the Commonwealth of Kentucky? Well, my first job was waiting tables at uh, Ponderosa Steakhouse in Paducah uh, <laughs> back in the uh, back in the early 90s when I was in high school. Uh, that Ponderosa is gone now. It's where the Logans is. Uh, that was my first job. Uh, so uh, I've had lots of different jobs uh, through college and law school. Uh, my first, I guess, real job was uh, when I finished uh, law school. I was a law clerk for a chief judge, federal judge uh, in Louisville. Uh, that was a, a year-long appointment. Uh, from there, I went to work for Senator McConnell. Uh, after that, uh, I worked uh, for uh, Governor Fletcher. I was his number two lawyer in, in his administration in Frankfurt. Uh, then I went to Washington uh, for about 13 years. I went uh, to the U.S. Department of Justice, where I was counsel to the Deputy Attorney General of the United States uh, under uh, President George W. Bush. Uh, and then after that, uh, Starting about 14 years ago, uh, I uh, opened up a national election law practice. I've always loved elections, and uh, I'm an attorney, and for me, the best of both worlds was to find a job where I could do elections and law at the same time. And I had done election law in some minor capacities for campaigns here or there, but uh, I put out my shingle to actually do this at, at a professional level, at the national level. Uh, I ended up representing three national committees uh, representing Vice President Pence, uh, representing campaign efforts in all 50 states uh, multiple times over several election cycles. And so they gave me a real window into how elections are run, not just in Kentucky, but across the U.S., what states do differently, what some do better than others. And all of that really got me into the, not just the law, but the policy of elections. And so uh, when the Office of Secretary of State opened up last year, uh, I ran for it and I thought I'd be well prepared uh, for the office. And as it turned out, that experience, not just in the law, but also in the policy of all the different states really helped me prepare a good plan uh, for running elections in a pandemic. It gave me a toolbox of ideas to draw off of so I could find a way to make sure our election was safe. And so I'm really grateful for that experience. Yeah. So what was the, uh, the learning curve that you kind of had to go through from moving to private practice to being the secretary of state? Uh, and then obviously, you know, now this year you have uh, big primaries and then general elections. So, I mean, within your first year, you had, uh, you know, big things happening in Kentucky. So talk about, you know, what your first year in office, you know, what you had to learn and get ready for. Well, uh, I said, uh, I'll tell you, I, I felt so insignificant when I got sworn in. I was standing under this statue of Abraham Lincoln in the rotunda and I felt like such a I, I won an upset victory I was supposed to lose. I was down 15 points, and 
I managed to grind it out and I, I really shouldn't even be here. And that was kind of my mentality when I got here. I was lucky just, just to be here. Uh, the first couple of months were focused on getting my legislation through in the General Assembly session. Uh, I wanted to reorganize my office. Uh, I had budget uh, issues to work out. Uh, the biggest thing was uh, photo ID to vote. Uh, Kentucky law did not require a photo ID to vote uh, when I came into office, and that's one of the main issues I ran on. And I helped write the bill uh, and pass it and get it uh, get it enacted. Uh, and so that was the focus of my first couple of months was getting all that done. And then, of course, the pandemic broke. And I said when I was sworn in that uh, in my oath, I said, so help me, God. But what I really meant was, so help me, God. <laughs> I really felt that way going into the pandemic. I just... I had nothing to draw off of in terms of preparation for that other than just the policy knowledge I had from other places and, and that experience. So uh, not to minimize anybody else, but I, I just don't know that anyone else could have come in. There's something unique about me or special, but that experience was very special. And I don't know how anyone else would have been able to do this job this year without that kind of a background. It was really important to me. And uh, I'm so grateful that I had that background coming in and dealing with this experience things I had to do, number one, I had to design a plan that would actually work. Uh, and then number two, I had to get it approved by the legislature uh, and the governor, which uh, was tricky, uh, but we got that done. And then the third thing I had to do was explain to the public and persuade them to take advantage of it and utilize it instead of doing what we'd always done, which we just couldn't do this year. Uh, so I had three unique challenges and I'd say the political part of it was the hardest part, more even than the logistics of the planning was just trying to sell this uh, to, I'm a Republican, uh, sell this to other Republicans, sell this to the legislature, sell it to the governor and sell it to the public and get them to take advantage of it. Because if I didn't get the public to change their voting behavior, the way they cast their votes, none of this would have helped. Right. So that was a big component too. So um, talk about a little bit, you know, that was a big thing this year was your bipartisan efforts with that election plan with the, uh, you know, the Democratic governor and you as a Republican. So, you know, talk about how you worked as in bipartisan efforts for this election. Well, it got off to somewhat of a bumpy start. Uh, the governor has always been personally uh, courteous to me and I've always reciprocated uh, when he had uh, his first reception at the mansion after uh, his uh, State of the Commonwealth speech. He invited all of the uh, constitutional officers. Uh, we're all Republicans except for him and the Lieutenant Governor. Uh, I was the only one that went. And to me, it was important to make a statement that he's the governor and I respect him and I'm going to show up as a Republican as a matter of courtesy. And, and I, I did that. And, and so I, I get along with him well uh, on a personal level. Uh, but we have some institutional differences that we had to work around. Uh, the biggest one is uh, I got a uh, law passed that enabled him and me to save the election. Uh, the law didn't actually have any emergency powers for changing the manner of the election. We could delay it, which we did, but it didn't solve the problem because the virus didn't go away. So I worked really hard. I worked with Democrats and Republicans in legislature and got a bill passed to give us a joint, give the governor and me joint ability to make changes to the election. Not just me, not just him, but the two of us together. He vetoed the bill. <laughs> uh, I, I was taken aback. I, I couldn't believe it. Uh, here was a chance to save the election in a bipartisan way, and he, he wouldn't accept it. Uh, I was able to get that veto overridden. 
and, and at that point, he began to work with me in good faith. Uh, so we had a bumpy first three months or so, uh, but he came around and I'll give him credit for that. He's actually been a very good and reliable partner since about the middle of April. Uh, we worked together working out these little kinks to try to find ways to make sure that we didn't let the virus disenfranchise anybody. And there's a measure of trust now that wasn't there uh, seven months ago. So what were some of the specifics that uh, were changed this election compared to previous elections that were for the the pandemic so people could vote and not be like not not have long lines or anything like that? Well, of course, the, the biggest thing we had to be concerned about, to your point, is we wanted to avoid people crying together, especially in closed spaces. Uh, that was something that we had to avoid. The other problem that complicated that was our poll workers quit on us. Not all of them, but but most of them. Most of our poll workers quit. Most of our poll workers are senior citizens, and they're the people being told, don't go out of your house. Right. So it was not only did we have a need to avoid crowds, we had to a need uh, to reduce the number of locations because we didn't have the poll workers to open up all the precincts. Uh, so we had two big problems to work around. So the first tool in the toolbox was to make it easier for people to vote remotely. I'm not generally a huge fan of that model of voting. I think it's better if people vote in person with a photo ID, but I'm also a realist. And I, I, you can't be a perfectionist in this job, not during a, a crisis. So the biggest thing was to make it easier for people to vote absentee ballot. We didn't do what they do on the West Coast, which is mail a ballot out everybody on the voter rolls. That's not a responsible way to run an election, I don't think. What we did is we expanded absentee voting. Absentee voting is where you have to register to vote uh, yourself and you have to apply for a ballot yourself. You have to verify your identity. Uh, so that's what we did. We expanded absentee voting. And in the primary, 75% of voters ended up voting by absentee ballot. Uh, which was pretty remarkable. To give you perspective, I've been doing elections in Kentucky since the early 90s in either a voluntary or a, or a professional capacity. Usually 2% vote absentee and 98% vote in person on one day. That's that's wow. the Titanic that we had to turn. Uh, we had to turn an ocean line in a very short period. And we had to train our poll workers, train our county clerks, and train our voters to do something totally different that, that, that was foreign to them. So we had to we we had to uh, move to absentee balloting primarily for the primary. Uh, we also expanded in-person voting over a period of days. Uh, it was uh, two weeks in the primary and three weeks in the general, so that we could have as many people voting, but have them not crowded on one day. We give them more days to vote, so we could spread out the crowds of people and not have people too close to each other. So those are the two big things we did. Now, I mean, we saw those changes go into effect. Uh, you know, within this year's primary and then the general election, and there was lots of reporting of you know record turnout as it as it you know pertains to voting. So, are we going to be expecting to see any of those changes maybe be made permanent? Now, it might not be as a three weeks of early voting, but maybe uh, four or five or something like that. So, can we expect any of the changes that were made to this election that worked out? Can we expect some of them to stay? Well, I wouldn't say expect. Uh, that's a strong word. It's possible. possible. I'd say it's less. I'd say it's less likely than not. But it's it's certainly possible. Uh, let me tell you why. The uh, unfortunately, I got a lot of pushback over the summer from 
uh, from uh, Republicans who didn't like changes uh, for the general election. Uh, but unfortunately, we had to do them. We had no choice. We had to keep people safe. Uh, but I, I think a lot of that uh, opposition died off when the election was over and Republicans actually did better than they had done uh, in other elections. Uh, that's, I don't think that making it easier to vote helps Republicans or hurts Republicans or Democrats. Uh, it's, it's neutral on the outcomes. It just helps people vote. And so I, I think a lot of the opposition that Republicans had has died off because they've realized they don't lose elections uh, when you make it easier to vote. Uh, it just it helps the voters. It doesn't really impact who wins or who loses elections. Uh, here's the biggest problem, though, is we're going to have a short session. In the odd years, we have a 30-day session. Uh, there's very little they can get done in that period of time. It's really just a time for major priorities. And they've got to pass a budget. Uh, in the last session, they passed only a one-year budget. They usually pass a two-year budget in the long session in the even years. And so they've got to focus on getting that done. Uh, my guess is their, their three biggest uh, focus points are going to be passing a budget for the next year, uh, passing a modification of emergency powers uh, for the executive branch, uh, par partly me, but mostly on the governor, uh, and also some justice reform to try to deal with the the demonstrations in the streets and so forth uh, deal with uh, some police reforms. And so that's going to take up a lot of oxygen. I'm not sure how much left is going to be uh, available for election reform. Even among people that don't oppose election reform, it's just maybe not their biggest priority right now in a short session. So it may be something that I come back in 2022. We don't have elections in Kentucky until 2022. We get next year off. So there's no real rush on it. Uh, I'd like to get it done uh, in the next session, but if we can't, that's fine. I'll come back the year after. So what were some of the changes that you would like to keep? I know um, previously you said you liked the voter curing for people that had mistakes or signature inaccuracies. And then um, I know you'd also said you liked the a couple days of in-person voting early, like on Saturday. So were, the, were those the two you wanted you want to change? Yeah, there's four, four main things that I think have consensus with the county clerks who actually have to run the elections on the ground uh, and have consensus, I think, across party lines uh, for the most part. Uh, in no particular order, one of them is early voting. Uh, I don't think we need three weeks every election. That was kind of a unique situation for this year. But I'd love to have a few days, maybe the Thursday, Friday, Saturday before Election Day, uh, let people go vote uh, early in person on those days. It really helps working people. Uh, I grew up in a working class household and, you know, my parents, they have they have to work the hours they're told uh, by their employers. And it's tricky for them to try to get away and go vote. It's a lot easier for them to go vote uh, in person early. That's what they did this year. Uh, number two, I'd like to keep the absentee ballot request portal. I'm not advocating that we expand absentee voting overall, but we are going to have more people voting absentee going forward than we've had previously, just because way more than 2% of voters qualified to vote absentee. They just didn't. They either didn't know about it or they just weren't familiar with it or didn't trust it. Now they've used it. We had 75% of voters vote absentee in, uh, in June uh, in the primary and 30% or so vote that way in the general election. And they like it uh, and it works for them. And these are people who are sick or old. There are people that, uh, 
have no reason to have to go vote in person. They can vote remotely. We've got uh, identity verification in place for them. We've got photo ID requirements to vote absentee as well. And so uh, those people are going to keep doing that. We need to make it as easy for them as we can. The portal going online to request the ballot, it enables me to surveil the election and monitor uh, from Frankfurt in a centralized way where all these ballots are. It also lets the voter track their ballot too. Uh, so it's really an improvement across the board. Uh, the third thing is I'd like to keep the cure process that you mentioned. Uh, in 2018, seven and a half percent of absentee ballots were thrown in the garbage. Uh, voted absentee ballots were received by clerks and then chucked because the voter made some simple mistake. They, they didn't yeah, sign or signature didn't match or yeah, just people make dumb mistakes. They make them in person too, but they're caught when they vote in person and fixed. When they vote remotely, there's no one helping them. So with the cure process that we introduced this year, this is purely administrative on my part. It needs legislation to be made uh, permanent. But basically now we don't throw it in the garbage without giving you a chance. Uh, now we call you. We call you and say, hey, you got a problem with your ballot. Can you come in and fix it? Here, here's your issue. It, we were able to re-enfranchise people. So to give you some perspective in in uh, 2018, uh, before I took office, the last uh, election, regular uh, federal election, we had seven and a half percent of those ballots thrown out. In uh, our primary this year, we had uh, about four percent thrown out. In the general, we had zero point four percent thrown out. That's huge, real progress. Yeah, huge improvement. Yeah. And th again, this is discretionary. This is something that I did with emergency powers that have now expired. So uh, it takes legislation to make any of this permanent. Uh, the last thing is vote centers. Uh, I've been voting. I voted Oakdale Precinct in McCracken County the first several elections. And then uh, I vote in Jefferson County now. I live in Jefferson County now. Uh, but I've always had to go vote at one particular place. And that's OK with me. But I've known so many voters who showed up at the wrong precinct and didn't get their vote counted because they went to the wrong place. They moved or they got something mixed up and their votes weren't counted. With a vote center, you got at least one place in the county where any voter in the county can go vote. So let's say, for instance, you live out in in Reedland uh, and you work uh, in downtown Paducah and it's a lot easier to vote downtown than it is out in Reedland because of your work hours. Well, guess what? Now you can go vote at the vote center. Uh, those are really popular this year. I'm not in, I'm not in favor of abolishing all our precincts and just having one place to vote, but I like having at least one place to vote where everyone knows their vote will be counted. It's a much more efficient way to run an election. The county clerks like it. The county uh, governments like it. It saves them money because it's a more efficient way to move people in and out uh, than the old precinct-based model. So I don't want to abolish precincts, but we got to consolidate some of them and try to move toward more days to vote, uh, more hours to vote, more space to vote, but fewer locations, because we're going to have fewer poll workers going forward and we're going to have less money going forward. And vote centers makes this a much more efficient process. Right. I know a lot of people uh, in a lot of instances, the vote center was the uh, county courthouse. I know that's what it was here in McCracken County. Mm -hmm. um, but, you know, as you said, you know, going forward, how you mentioned earlier that finding poll workers was uh, a challenge this year. And in the primaries, you know, there was bigger areas of the state that didn't have nearly enough precincts to vote at. So how did you go about finding people to work polls and making sure that communities had enough of those precincts? Because, as you say, you don't want to abolish the precincts. Yeah, I actually testified uh, a year ago before there was ever a pandemic. I testified to the legislature that we have a poll worker crisis in our state. 
uh, we have fewer and fewer people who are volunteering. You know, volunteering, unfortunately, is kind of a thing that older people do and younger people don't. And our older people are getting older and older and, and they're just not available. Uh, and those numbers are, are dropping, the number of volunteers we have. Uh, this has been an ongoing problem for a long time. It's not just in, in elections, it's across the board. You've got fewer people volunteering for civic causes or other causes. Uh, so we're gonna have to deal with this even beyond the pandemic. Uh, so the reason we only had one place to vote in almost every county back in the primary wasn't because I wanted that or the governor wanted that. It wasn't a policy idea we had. It was the, the reality that our poll workers dropped. Uh, to give you some perspective, uh, on March 6th, that was the date we had our first COVID uh, diagnosis in Kentucky. We had about 15,000 poll workers lined up. Uh, two weeks later, uh, we, the deadline to register to be a poll worker was March 20th. We had 2,000 poll workers. Uh, oh, wow. We went in the wrong That's direction huge, because huge people, they quit. And you can't wow. blame them. The governor, the governor was telling them, stay home. Don't, don't leave your house for any reason. Don't even go to the grocery. People, they didn't want to be poll workers. And I, I, I empathize with that. So, uh, so it was a big challenge in the primary. That's why we had so few locations. There was simply no way we could have one location to vote in the general election. Your turnout for your general election is going to be at least twice or higher what it is in a primary. It was in this case too. So we knew we had to fix the problem. The biggest thing we did is I spent months recruiting poll workers. It's not my job. It's actually the job of the county clerks, but they, they weren't able to, uh, to get enough. And so I took it on my part to get that done. Uh, starting in mid-July, we began a, a statewide effort to re uh, recruit poll workers. We did some novel things. We worked with the, the state bar association for them to give out uh, legal training credit for lawyers who volunteered to be poll workers. Uh, we actually worked with the with uh, brewers around the state, our local craft brewers, to put uh, logos on their beer cans, SOS from your SOS. And it was uh, <laughs> an SOS from me uh, urging people to be poll workers. And so we were able to get younger people that way, reach out to young people uh, who drink beer. It actually turned the tide. We had some, to give you an example, we have a, we had a partnership in Northern Kentucky uh, with a Newport brewer. We got so many uh, volunteers from that. We opened up every single precinct in that county, Campbell County, every single wow. precinct, 60 something precincts, all open, all staffed fully, thanks to that effort in part. So it made a big difference. Uh, we ended up just ourselves recruiting 5,000 poll workers just from my office alone. So when you added that to what the clerks got, it, it wasn't everybody, certainly, but it was enough to be able to have a lot more locations open than we had had previously. And that's why we were able to have 70% of our voters vote in person in uh, November instead of having to vote absentee. So obviously last year, or still in 2020, most of your time was spent with the general election and all the things that came with that. So what do you think the next year will hold? And like, what are some of the things you want to get done or you will be doing in 2021? Well, uh, you know, the election thing is I, I sort of get a year off, but not really. Uh, I have a lot of work I want to do at the administrative level to make some improvements. Uh, I, I've got uh, I'm not going to announce it yet, but I've got a new uh, cybersecurity initiative that I'll be rolling out early next year. Uh, that's really important to me. We take that seriously uh, all day, every day. Uh, certainly it's something that I monitored uh, through 2020. We didn't talk about it a lot publicly, uh, but uh, on the on the uh, behind the scenes, we worked really hard on cybersecurity 
uh, with our concern about hacking from, uh, from hostile powers. Uh, but I have some improvements to roll out on that in 2021. Uh, I also, of course, want to focus on trying to get legislation passed to make some of these improvements permanent if I can. Uh, I also want to take some time and, and look more at the business uh, office aspect of my job and try to make some assessments and improvements of that process for our job creators in the state. So it's going to be a year that largely will be consumed with uh, administrative stuff. And one thing I really hope to do, I just don't know yet if I can, is I really like to get out in the state. Uh, a big part of my job normally is getting out in the state and seeing people and listening and bringing that feedback uh, to the state capitol. And I wasn't able to do that this year. That was really tough for me. I spent two years on the trail uh, traveling uh, tens of thousands of miles, meeting with regular people and listening. And then I couldn't do that in 2020. Uh, I pretty much went dark in uh, mid-March and have been able to travel and meet with people very much uh, since then. So it's been real tough. And I'm, I'm hoping that we'll have a vaccine prevalent uh, enough early in the year that it'll be safe for people to open up uh, events again and go out and see people. Well, you're always welcome uh, in our studio here if you ever make it to this uh, edge or, you know, back to where you came from. Um, Thank you. Now, you came from Reedland, and we've got a couple yeah. last couple of things here. You came from Reedland High School, which is now turned into McCracken County High School. Um, and obviously now we get opportunities like, you know, to have this studio now. But – in your bio, it says that you were the first person in your family to obtain a bachelor's degree or higher. So, you know, how did coming from, you know, working class, you know, families and being, you know, how did that push you to go into your law profession? Uh, you know, I, th I think it says you went to the University of Louisville and then Harvard Law School. So, you know, what was the big driving thing? And at what point did you realize that Working, uh, working in law and public elections was for you? Well, it was one of those things. It's like falling in love. You, you know, you know, it's, you know, she's the one, right? The same thing with, uh, for me, with uh, politics. Uh, I fell in love with it uh, when I was a teenager and uh, I've never fallen out of love with it. It's something that I think I'm, I'm relatively good at. I think it's the only thing I'm good at. So that's why I do that <laughs> instead of anything else. Uh, but the law part, I didn't have any desire to be a lawyer, uh, particularly I didn't know any lawyers. I didn't have a good view of the legal profession. Uh, but my, my parents and grandparents were very, very uh, <laughs> forceful and persuasive, encouraging me, go, go get a law degree. It's great that you got a college degree in political science, but it's not going to pay the bills. It's not going to get you a job. And we want your life to be better than ours was. So go get a credential that you can actually make money off of. And they were right. Uh, they eventually won me over on that. That's that's why I went to law school is to have something to fall back on. And and if I hadn't done that, I don't think I would have made enough uh, money uh, to be able to uh, self-fund my campaign in large part. Uh, it's hard to raise money running for a job like this. People don't get motivated to write big checks to the secretary of state candidate and had a tough race as it was and people thought I couldn't win. So I had to put a lot of my own money in that race. I wouldn't have had those kind of assets if I hadn't had a successful legal career. Uh, and also the law really helped me think critically about changing laws. I, you don't have to be a lawyer to be a legislator or involved in, in uh, legislation, but it certainly doesn't hurt. Uh, so that, that played a big, uh, big factor. One thing I want to encourage uh, y'all and all of your listeners is 
uh, I said, and I said this in my victory speech after I won is there's nothing wrong with, with being born into a, a, a political family like the Bashirs or uh, the Henrys or the Stumbos. There's nothing wrong with the Chandlers. That's great. Uh, but it, you don't have to be. You can just be a regular person that's not born to any of that. You can still succeed. You have to work harder. Uh, but, you know, the things I learned from working my, my way through high school and college and law school and other things I've done, those that self-reliance has been something that I really had to draw on when I ran for this job without much help. Uh, it, it, it trains you and it gives you character and adversity makes you stronger. And so I wouldn't have done it any other way. I, I, I'm glad that I had those experiences. I think they made me better at what I do. Do you find now that people recognize you whenever you go out in public? Yeah, actually, it's it's a little amusing. When I uh, I ran, I, no one would interview me. I could hardly get on television without paying for it, and no one knew who the heck I was. And then I can't I can't go anywhere without being recognized. I got a, a face covering on, so I'm at Kroger or I'm out somewhere and at a gas station somewhere out in the state, and people recognize the top half of my head, and that's it's pretty amazing <laughs> <laughs> to go from total anonymity to being having that uh, top half of your head recognized is pretty amazing. And now that we're in the holiday season, we did a, uh, we did a, uh, a, a special the other day talking about Christmas uh, movies. So if you find, if you ever find yourself, uh, you know, having any free time, what is your Christmas movie of choice? Oh, definitely die hard. <laughs> Not even close. Hard. <laughs> <laughs> Our uh, sound engineer on the other side of the wall, uh, Mr. Alex Dyke, is just uh, fist pumped in the air. So he likes your <laughs> choice. <laughs> All right. It was an absolute pleasure to have you on our show. Uh, thank you to Kentucky Secretary of State uh, Michael Adams for coming on the Main Report podcast. Uh, for Jameson Evers, uh, I'm Brendan Evers. This has been another episode of the Main Report. <laughs>